Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Good morning. Great to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, welcome to everybody. Wonderful to see the house again. Amen. I just want to, before I minister, just draw your attention to these four CDs. These four CDs, just quickly, these are the latest four. These are Kingdom Economics Part A, contains nine sermons. Kingdom Economics Part B contains uh, eight sermons. And then Kingdom Economics Part C contains another eight sermons. And then the Kingdom Economics Summit that I did in Zambia, Lusaka, was very prophetic. Although it sometimes covers some of the issues that I've done didactically in these, in these CDs, this one is highly prophetic. Because for you, when I work with you, I work didactically. I want to make certain that every session we're building sequentially, line upon line, precept upon, precept, and we're building something. That's why it's important for you to come to every meeting, because we're building something. When I go to other countries, I pick up, I listen to the Lord and, and just sense what to, to say to the particular group based upon where they are at. And so this one is highly prophetic, this particular one. It's 13 whole sessions. And each session is about 1 hour 15 minutes. 13 sessions, 1 hour 15 minutes per session. And it was tremendously uh, successful. And all these CDs just go for 20 rand each. There's a total of 38 sermons here on four CDs. 38 sermons on four CDs. These are designed for your economic welfare. They deal with the subject of economics. If you take the time to listen to them, seriously, methodically, meditate upon them, but more importantly, do what I teach. Economically, you'll be fine. Financially, you'll be setting up structures in your, in your life for your future economic well-being and that of your, of your children. I don't think anyone in this church can say we were not taught or we're without excuse, okay? And so I want to encourage you, please get, get a hold of, of these. I want to continue now. Um, this is, I think, session 28 or 29 in this whole series on kingdom economics. But it's the second part in this particular segment on sowing and reaping. We are exploring the biblical principle of sowing and reaping. More so as it relates to finance, but not only finance. I say this repetitively. Do not, do, not be, um, do not be limited in your mind whenever we theme a series and be locked into the theme only. Because the theme is simply a portal that God uses to address multifaceted areas of our lives. So if you listen carefully to this Kingdom Economic series, all 38 sessions contained on these four CDs. Do not just address money. There's purity, there's marital relationships, there's a host of things addressed there that are not just financial. And so uh, I want to encourage you to take a hold of the fullest applications of all that is embedded in all that we teach. Similarly too, when now we deal with this issue of sowing and reaping, we don't just deal with it financially, although our focus is finance, but we want to deal with it holistically 
as, as holistically as is possible. Um, because I have found that when you don't understand the broadness of an application in the scriptures, and you only seek to express it specifically in, a, in one area, without knowing its broad ramifications, you're somehow limited in how you enact the process or enact the principle. Because you're limiting it and confining it, let's say, only to finance. So if I sow, I reap. I sow finances, I reap finances. Yes, that's all good and all well and true. But you must always seek to understand this is true not only for financial sowing and reaping. You must seek to apply this principle for whatever topic in the scriptures you are studying. The issue is understand the broad overarching principle first before you understand its specific application to one area. Because the broadness of its application will help you apply it to a specific area far more accurately than you simply, if you just seek to understand its application in that one domain. Okay? And so we said last week, I won't go through everything that we, we did last week except to perhaps rehearse one or two principles and then go on to what I want to uh, apply today. We said that sowing and reaping is a God established principle. It's divinely ordained. It was enacted from the time the earth was created. God put seeds in fruit and he made seed bearing plants and trees which bear fruit yielding seed according to the scriptural text. Yielding seed. So in the very act of creation, listen carefully, the seed principle was right there and then from the start. It was always there. It is a divine principle because it is established by the Lord himself. He established it, he installed it into the creation so as to perpetuate creation. All living species, all life functions by the principle of the seed. After the flood, Noah's flood, God said this in Genesis chapter 8 verse 22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. That is a proclamation by the Lord. While the earth remains, if there's a remaining earth, there will always be a seed and harvest principle attached to that. So long as the earth abides, and I think it's this earth, I don't think it refers to the new earth that's recorded in Revelation chapter 21. John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and he says there was no need for the sun in that earth. Why? Because the Lord God will be its light. If seasons, winter and summer, are regulated by the sun, or at least by the earth's rotational uh, day and night is governed by the earth's rotation on its axis. And the seasons are governed by the rotation of the earth around the sun. Not so? Okay. Now, if you remove the element of the sun, you remove the element of seasons in the new earth because it says, then the Lord God will be its light. Okay. Then at that stage, the Lord God will be its light. But listen, we're not there yet. We're still here. Right? And I'm saying, so long as there is the present earth remaining, you will always find attached to the earth this principle of seed time and 
harvest. There will always be cycles of cold and heat, circular movements of summer and winter, periodic patterns of day and night. It's circular. It's, it's, it's a cycle. It's a pattern. It's predictable. As one concludes, it initiates the other. Okay? So there are predictable patterns in the earth if which you understand you could be a prophet. <laughs> I prophesy that night will come in a few hours. Am I a prophet? No. I'm just understanding the, the, the cycle. If you understand the cycle, you could forecast accurately. One of those capacities is embedded within this principle, and it's couched in language in Genesis 8.22 as seed time and harvest. Say it together. Seed time, seed time and, and harvest. So this is, listen carefully. So, you know, when I give money away, whether it's to a beggar who comes begging at my door, or whether it's in honor of my spiritual father, which I do regularly, or whether to help a brother in need, or whether to give to the poor, I look at this and I see the act as part of a broad continuum of a principle that the earth has been baptized into. I don't see my act as separate from the broad overarch. Everyone say the broad overarch. So you see the act individually, privately, is part of a continuum. It's part and parcel of a broad principle that God has established in the earth. I'm at one with the divine. I'm at one with the earth whenever I sow anything of any kind. Because I am part and parcel of that divine order, of that principle. What I do is never disconnected with what God has established. Right? My sowing financially is part of a seed principle that God himself has established. Now, Rene rightly said earlier, that we're not just applying this to finances. You could change your present, or rather you can change your, your future by changing your present behavior. Present status is a result of prior seeds. The status of your life now is simply the result of seeds previously sown, good or bad. You're always sowing. Tell someone you're always sowing. There's, there's never a time that you're not sowing. By your thinking you are sowing, by your thoughts you are sowing, by your attitude you are sowing, by your actions you are sowing, by your deeds you are sowing, you are one big sower. You are always sowing and reap you will based upon your present acts and attitude. Say with me, attitude. Say acts. It's both mental and behavioral. It's what you think and what you do. Everything about you is a seed. Come on, tell that to your neighbor. Everything about you is a seed. It's, listen, it's going to bear a harvest one way or another. You're going to experience the outcome of present behavior. I, I, I submit to you, like I said last week, a large bulk of your present status is simply the fruit of seeds previously sown. You're dealing now with the repercussions of previous actions. So I submit to you then, you want to predictably, everyone say predictably. 
And this is where, it's not, I'll explain just now a balance I want to bring to this. I can confidently say to you, summer is here. Right? I can confidently say to you, in a few hours it will be night. Not being a prophet, but understanding cycles, understanding patterns. Similarly, I can confidently, confidently stand in time, look beyond time into the future and say, the quality of my life will be X, Y, Z, based upon my present behavioral patterns. Based upon my present behavioral patterns, I can look forward to and hope towards a positive future. Okay? Um, if the present status is a result of prior seeds sown, I can change my future predictably based upon my present behavior. Okay? Based upon how I position and posture myself now in this time. Do you know, the one thing I know, mercy will always be my portion. I know that. What biblical basis do I have to foundation that thought? The scripture says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I come with me and let me tell you in my lounge the, 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 the expressions of mercy that I've meted out to many people. But not just people arbitrarily or generally, but specifically in reference to offenses against me. But the principle of forgiveness and love overwhelms me and where I could have judged, I don't judge, but I meet out mercy. What have I done? I've planted seeds. I've predictably set things to be very well for me. Watch. In the hour of my own failure, when I need it the most, guess what? I'm guaranteed of mercy. But if you stand here, and if the, if, if the preeminent disposition of your heart towards people that fail is judgment, you will learn, brother. You're going to learn judgment, discipline, etc. And I told you so. I, I saw this coming. Uh, good for you. You deserve it. If that's your mentality, guess what? That thought is sowing seeds. Guess what is going to happen in the hour of your own failure? What, you know what the saying is? What goes around, comes around. Yeah? What goes around, comes around. And I want to encourage you, start to change your future now. Start to change your future now. Everything is subject to the sovereignty of God. But the sovereignty of God is bound up with human actions. If you as a son of God know principles in God's word for which when enacted position you favorably for the future and you don't do it and you're simply counting on God's goodness, guess what? God exalts his word above his name. You turn your nose up and you sneer against a known principle by which God has informed you of, and you snigger at that. God is not mocked. I told you this last week. Put it up, Galatians 6, 7. Let's just look at this quickly. Remember we said this, God is not mocked. Do not be deceived. Deception. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. You cannot anticipate sweet oranges from sowing seeds of sour lemons. To sow seeds that are genetically encoded to produce a sour tasting fruit and you there with great faith 
hope to generate sweet oranges, this scripture says, you have just manifested your deception. You've just showcased and provided evidence of the fact that you're operating in something called deceit, deception. How do I know, according to this verse, when you are deceived? I challenged you last week to study all the scriptures that start, do not be deceived. There are many of them. But in this instance, deception is known by this fact. It is known in the man who, has a, who anticipates a different harvest to the kinds of seeds he has sown. So you've sown this, but you expect that. Huh? That, this scripture says, you have just proven that you are in deception. If you want the outcome of a particular harvest quality, start to sow an associated seed, associated or commensurate with the harvest that you are, an, that you are anticipating. Okay? Then it says this, God is not mocked. Mukteriso is the Greek word. Mukteriso, God is not mocked, means to turn up the nose uh, and to sneer and snigger at someone, holding the person in derision and in utter contempt. You try that with God, bro. You try turn up your nose against God. God is saying, the nuance of this text in the Greek is, God will not permit himself to be mocked. Right? I can sneer at you. You know, if I hug, if I hug Ian, it's like I ignore you. Uh, I should have greeted you, but I disregard you. I hold you in derision. I hold you in contempt. And it's a, it's a position of pride. I devalue you. I'm functioning from a position which I think I'm better than you. So I lower your value and I sneer at you. Now the Bible says don't try that with God. When do you try that with God? You always manifest that position towards God when this, watch, when your present behavior is a particular thing, but in your heart you're anticipating a different outcome to your present priorities. The scripture says you've done two things. Firstly, you've manifested your deception and you're turning up your nose against God. God will not alter His principles to accommodate your disobedience of them. He will not alter the principle just for you. Right? He, he stands behind his word to, to perform it. And so I want to encourage you, it is very, very important that we sow the right deeds. Sow the right deeds. Last week, for some reason, God impressed upon us here in the house to sow seeds of honor. Yeah? Honor your, your, your mother and your father. Honor the elderly. One thing, I get very angry if I see a youngster dishonor an elderly person of any kind. I just think it's so distasteful. Little does that youngster realize he's sowing very bad seed. The Bible says, honor your father and your mother in the Lord, for it will be well with you. And the second blessing? You will live a long time in the earth. How can I say I'm going to live very long? How can I predict, predict that? Based upon the authority of Scripture, if I excel in the principle of honor, I can, I can confidently say things are going to go very well for me, number one, and I'm going to live a very long time in the earth. Why? What seeds have I sown? I have sown seeds of, of honor 
that give me the faith to hope in that promise. I'll explain that concept in a moment. Give me the faith to hope in that result. Okay? So I want to encourage you, excel in honor. Dishonor is the seed for a short life. You want a short life? Sow a seed of dishonor. You want things going very bad for you? Sow a seed of dishonor. The contrary is, you want things to go very well for you, be honorable to all people, especially leaders of any kind, mother, father, etc. Mother-in-law, father-in-law too. Right? Bless them. Think kindly concerning them. Right? Help them where you can. You're setting up yourself for the future. Okay? Setting up yourself for the future. Okay, now enough said there. I want to speak briefly about the whole issue of expectation. Expectation. The principle is good. Sowing and reaping. It's a good principle, right? But you know, it could be abused. Could be abused if you have the wrong mindset towards it. Now, firstly, when you give, you have a biblical right to expect to receive. That is biblical. But the motivation for the giving is not to receive. The motivation for the giving must be to express love. I taught this in two whole sessions. Love must prompt the giving of any kind, of anything. The reason for this is twofold. Listen carefully. According to 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 and 5, it says, Love does not seek its own and love does not brag. So if I do, thing, if I do something in love, it says... It, I'm not seeking my own, and I'm not doing this to brag about it. If love prompts an action, let's say, and I give, um, let's say, a thousand rand to Yvette who's in need. My love for her prompts the act. Question. Will God bless me? I'm asking you. Come on, you sound doubtful. Will God bless me? Most certainly. God is not a man that he should lie. It says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Whether I like it or not, I have set up a chain of events from God's heavenly throne for which I have no control over. He looks at my actions and he, something evokes within him and he says, now I'll respond to you. But knowing that, I don't engage the act of giving with the idea of being blessed. My motivation is, I simply want to be obedient. This is very important for you to understand because listen carefully. There's a whole wave of a segment of the prosperity gospel afoot in the earth right now that teaches the principle of sowing and reaping, but the ultimate primary beneficiary and motivation for that is the giver, the one who gave. So watch, the principle is powerful. Even Oprah practices it. And Oprah is blessed. Right? Even Oprah practices. But if you, if you harness the principle with the idea of it benefiting you primarily, you have sought your own. And love does not seek its own. If love prompts, watch. If I am moved with compassion, I'm just giving because I want to help the person out who is 
the primary beneficiary in my mind in the exchange. It's Yvette, not me. So I'm just giving to meet a need, right? Love prompts it. But when God from the heaven sees, wow, Randolph, love has prompted the acts. You have set up a chain by your sowing into somebody else's life of blessedness to which I will respond. And no doubt I will bless you, Randolph. I will bless you for your act of giving birth in the purity of love. Not misguided with a selfish agenda. You're not giving this with you as the primary thought. You're giving this with the other as the primary thought. Please remember this. You know why I'm drilling this into you? Because I, I perceive some of you are going to handle large volumes of money. Large volumes. And when you start discovering, wow, the principle works, you know what subtly is going to happen? You're going to start to be covetous and greedy. If you enact the seed principle motivated by covetousness and greediness, you have abused what is right. And whenever you engage a right principle with wrong motives, you abuse the principle. Amen? Some of you don't believe me when I say that you can handle large volumes of money. Yeah, you are. I'm telling you what I see. And maybe you cannot see it. But if you are faithful with little, you will also be faithful with much. If you are unfaithful with little, you will also be unfaithful with much. Don't tell me I'm waiting to tithe when I get my breakthrough. It will never happen. Be faithful with the little that you have. When God says you are faithful with little, He will elevate you to administrate the muchness of His, of His blessing. I am shocked that people are still not obedient to financial principles after all the pouring forth and revelation of this truth. You have enough teaching. I taught you, you do this by grace and not by the works of your flesh. If grace is present, grace will prompt the obedience of the act. It's not left to you, it's left to the grace of God in you that drives your obedience. Yeah? That's why Hannah, what does Hannah's name mean that, that Renee referenced? Hannah means grace. Grace is able to give Samuel away as a seed. And what did she reap? Five more sons. What is five the number of? Grace. Nobody that gives from a grace position, however costly, will ever be grace deficient. Because God will always replenish you. You are never disadvantaged when you give. Get that into your thinking. Watch. Whenever I give, I tell myself, I am not disadvantaged by the amount given. I am not left in the red. I am not, I am not worse off. That's carnal thinking. You want to tell yourself as a spiritual man, I am far better off having given. Because I've initiated an act, a principle I have, I have harnessed called seed time and, and harvest. So I want to caution you. So by grace. But when you do it, do it with the right motive. Motivation. Yeah. We sold 120,000 to the last ASIM. And when the need came, I didn't say, wow, we large amounts of money we're going to sow as a corporate church. We're going to be less in the account, in our investment account, 120,000 and less than we were before. I don't think like that. I don't think we are, does it? No, we're not. Yes, if you look at the accounts, we are 
120,000 rand less in the investment than what should have been there. But you don't know the seed principle. I have set up a chain of events of blessing for this corporate house. When they come, they will come because of what we've done. Yeah? Don't think you're disadvantaged. You are never disadvantaged by what you have given. Hallelujah. You start to change your future now. I can't wait for 2018. It's going to be a bumper year, I think. You know, I think God has tested us sufficiently in this year for the degrees to which we have sown. And I want to encourage you to, to be full of faith. You know why? Does, let me ask you this. Which farmer sows seeds with no anticipation of a harvest? Anyone that you know? You come to the guy sowing seeds, you ask him, why are you doing this? Ah, just. <laughs> what is his mind? He's saying, there's a time called seed time. There's something called harvest. My present behavior is because of my future anticipation. So I'll do what is right now because I'm expecting a, a harvest later on. So the farmer sows in hope. Say that with me. A farmer sows in hope. Now listen carefully. How does faith come to you? Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by? Hearing and hearing by the? What is faith? Hebrews 11, 1. Faith is what? The substance of things. Hope. What's I hope? Hope for? The evidence of things not seen. So if you reference faith, is there in faith hope? Yes or no? Yes. Because the Bible says faith is the substance hoped for. Okay? You can have, uh, you cannot claim to have faith without possessing hope. Because in faith is hope. Faith is now, now faith is, but the element of hope brings into faith a mental attitude of expectation regarding a positive future. What is hope? Everyone say with me, mental expectation regarding a positive future. It's not mental expectation regarding a negative future. It's mental expectation regarding a positive future. I hope, we often use it in grammatical usage in English, I hope for the best. When you say hope, the anticipated outcome is always good. Right? Don't use it for the wrong things, right? <laughs> I hope so much. If a farmer, listen carefully, sows seed in anticipation of a good harvest, he hopes. It's And hope is part of faith. Faith is certain. Faith is guaranteed. Now faith is the, it's, it's a substance. It's the confidence, the full assurance. But built into faith is this mental expectation of a positive outcome in the, in the future. So I want to encourage you, whenever you sow seeds of any kind, be it attitudes or acts, for our purposes now, be it a financial seed, you always hold in your heart faith filled with hope for a positive outcome. Watch. The motivation for your sowing was not that you reap. The motivation for your sowing was prompted by love for the other. Period. It was prompted by love for the other. But having sown, how do sons of God live their lives? The just shall live by? Do we live by the principle of faith? Yes, we do. Okay? Faith 
manifests itself in obedience. Because faith without works is, is dead. You can't say you have faith for something and no accompanying works. For us, works is obedience. So, follow me. If I obey a principle in God, like financial sowing, I have set up a biblical basis upon which I now then can express faith for the attendant blessing of that act. It will manifest in my life sometime, either now or in the future. If I'm sowing a seed in seed time, then I can anticipate a future called harvest. My point being, unsown seeds give no basis for faith filled with hope for a positive future. Having sown the seed, you can now adopt a faith posture, a mental attitude of expectation. And even though there's a time period between seed time and harvest time, as you go through that valley sometimes, that dark period, because let me just say this, seeds are sown in the ground, and it's dark there. It's dark there. Sometimes you sow your seed, and you go through a period called darkness. But the seed is genetically encoded to push through. You know what I learned recently? I was studying seeds from a, a, just a scientific perspective in the week. And uh, I got to a YouTube video. I wanted to look at the process. You know, some of these videos capture the process over time, and they fast forward the video. Roots grow downward first in the seed before the shoot pushes upward to the ground. The seed becomes anchored first before it shoots upward. Maybe some of you have planted seeds for which you haven't seen the upward shoot because your seeds are still taking downward root. It's still anchoring itself, and so I just perceive this by, by the Spirit. For some of you, the anchoring has been long because the roots need to be solid to sustain the quality of the harvest that God has for you. Right? It has to be strong enough to, to sustain the quality of the harvest that God has for you. Do not be discouraged in between seed time and harvest time. You come to a farmer three days after he's sown, and you look at his field and he says, Hey, you've sown, but there's nothing. He says, It's hidden now, but wait. There are processes unseen to the natural eye that are taking place in the unseen world which will manifest themselves in time. But that farmer doesn't look at a barren ground and says, my seeds have come to nothing. I will talk to you later, maybe next week, about this important mental disposition of how to posture yourself between seed time and your, your harvest time. Because the text says in the book of Proverbs, Woe to him who sleeps in his harvest. You know, the worst thing you can do at harvest time is to find yourself in a place called sleep, which in the scripture has so many uh, uh, nuances, so many representations. I will encourage you, study, in this, study that in this week. What is sleeping in harvest? The scripture warns you not to come to your harvest, and you come when you should be harvesting, but you're fast asleep. Tell someone, don't sleep in harvest. So between seed time and harvest time, in that period of seeming darkness, do not be discouraged by the sameness of your life. Nothing's happening, you say, but much is happening outside of your view. 
outside, I say that to you by the Spirit of the Lord. There's much that is happening outside of your, of your view. Now, listen carefully. One thing the Lord revealed this to me in the week. I was meditating on this thought. Um, I've been given to writing this week, locking myself away in my office, trying to catch up. I've preached a lot of sermons in recent months for which I haven't got documents, simply because of extensive traveling, and I don't have the time to, to document stuff. But this time, I really found, I said, uh, I said, Lord, my traveling is winding down for the rest of the year. I'm going to lock myself away. Speak to me. My prayers, even Lord, as I write, speak to me. And just yesterday, the Lord said this to me. Don't trust the principle. Trust me. I heard, if ever I heard God, I was typing away, I was typing a particular thought, and I deleted it. God says, no, not that. Don't trust the principle. Trust me. You see, everyone say principality. Um, do you know that God is a principality? Hmm? You know, Jesus is a principality. It's simply, arche uh, 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 is the Greek term. It's, it's a preeminent one, one of dignity, of authority, and power. For example, it says in Ephesians 1.21, I need you to understand this. This will set you free. Listen to this flow of thought. He is far above all, what? Rule and authority and power and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age that also is to, is to come. In Colossians 2.10, in him you have been made complete, and he is the head of all authority. Put the King James or New King James. He is the head of what? All principality and power. Now, Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, keep the King James, we wrestle not against, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against, put the New King James, Powers is principalities, as we know. Against principalities. So the reference to principalities could be good and evil because Christ is referenced as a principality, but also the domain of darkness, Satan, and his demonic hosts in terms of rank. Some are principalities, right? But he is the ark. He is preeminent. He is far above all of them. Now here's the deal. Listen carefully. All principalities work by principles. Say that with me. All principalities work by principles. Let me give you a quick case study. I, won't, I wish I had a whole session to lay this out. But in a nutshell, Paul went to Ephesus. He spent three years there. The, the goddess of the Ephesians, the evil, idolatrous deity that the Ephesians served was Diana. They called her Diana of the Ephesians. Ephesus is a port town. If you go to Asia Minor, you come to the port Ephesus. Remember the seven churches in the book of Revelation? Who was the first one? Ephesus. Ephesus was the gateway to Laodicea, Smyrna, Philadelphia, the whole of Asia Minor. So it was key. It was a gateway to everything else. So Paul spends, Paul's travels later in his ministry were very strategic. Went to key cities. But when he came there, watch he spent three years, watch, teaching the disciples of John initially, and then others joined him. The Bible says he taught them daily. From 10 a.m., the Amplified Bible says, to 3 p.m. every day for three years. He says every day, yeah, three years. And you know, all of those 
It was a small group. They emerged, if you track this, to become the elders of Ephesus, of which Timothy was put as an apostolic delegate to be in charge of. Long story. I'm cutting, I don't want to cut the onions here, right? Giving you the overall picture. Now, he did not do spiritual warfare as we know it when he came there. He did not call a prayer meeting around the, the amphitheater. There was a large amphitheater there and a, a temple dedicated to the worship of Diana of the Ephesians. Everybody who functioned in that temple were prostitutes. She infiltrated the city with promiscuity, sexuality, sensuality. That was Diana of the Ephesians. Paul comes into a wicked context. God sends him there. He does not call a prayer meeting to say, let's pull down strongholds. Diana of the Ephesians, we oppose you. doesn't do that. All he does, he teaches the word. Daily for three years. What is he doing? He's eroding the principles by which Diana of the Ephesians function in a city. Because, listen carefully, a principality is only given power when people under, her under its jurisdiction obey the principles that is true to its nature. If you change the principles, you neutralize the principality. So what does he do? Three years teaching, persuading them about the kingdom of God, the Bible says. Right? And the Bible says even he leaves them, he commits to them the word of grace. And he leaves in a ship and they all weep by the boat. Remember I told you this. Imparts grace to them. Do you know what? Many believed in the city. And they brought all the books. Remember the books? Sorcery books. Witchcraft books. Promiscuous books. In the center of the city. And they burned it. Silversmiths lost their business in a day. Why? Because they used to manufacture little artifacts in honor of Diana of the Ephesians. Now, watch. If you're changing the lifestyles of people by installing godly principles by which they function, the principality's got no hold over the city, and even businesses that support that principality are folding. I forget the value. The scripture does say it, but the modern equivalent, some guys try to work it out, work it out it's hundreds of billions of billions of U.S. dollars, equivalent of books that were burned in honor. Books were used to facilitate the worship of Diana of the Ephesians. What did, how did God alter city? He altered the city by changing the principles by which the people lived. If you change the principles by which the people live, you neutralize the principality, the satanic principality, that, that controls people through observing the principles. Example, if somebody offends you, what do you do? What do you do if you're God's son? Come on, you don't know. I'll tell you. You must forgive them. <laughs> what if you say, I am God's son. Christ is my principality, but I choose now to be stubborn, in offense, I'm angry, I'm bitter, I maintain my unforgiveness. Guess what you've just done? You're opting for a principle of unforgiveness that gives Satan, the principality, legal grounds to oppress you. 
Your principle of adoption has empowered the activating principality to be operative in your life. That's why the Bible says, for example, give no place for the devil. Don't give room for him. The principles of honor, integrity, rectitude by which you function empower Jesus, our principality, as head of all principalities, to be functional in your life. Now, in Colossians 2, what did I say? Colossians 2 and verse 15, you know what it says when he died on the cross of Calvary? What did he do? Having disarmed what? What did he do as a principality? He disarmed all other principalities, right? And powers, and he made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them in it. So he neutralized powers. The Bible says he publicly embarrassed them when he died on the cross. Right? Took away power and authority from them. That is legal by his death on the cross. But you empower them, watch, when you enact the principle that is true to them. So if you remain unforgiving, one of the, one of the results of unforgiveness is sickness. Trauma. Some people are, are suffering physical illness because of an unforgiving spirit. If I come and you say, pray for this brother for healing, I can have the gift of healing, pray for you and nothing will happen. Because you are insisting upon a principle that gives legal grounds to that principality to have its work in your life. Yeah? Now the Lord said this to me about sowing and reaping. Do you know mammon was here? Do you know mammon was here? When he hung on the cross, do you know... He dealt a death blow to mammon, the god of money and wealth that enslaves men through materialism, greed and covetousness. All principality was dealt a death blow in his death on the cross. But you can empower mammon similarly, for example, by your stinginess, by your withholding spirit, by your lack of compliance, by your disobedience to known financial principles, right? So it says, if you tithe, the book of Malachi, if you tithe, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. That devour, I will rebuke your, your obedience of the principle has activated me as a principality to do warfare on, on your behalf. So listen carefully. Everyone says sowing and reaping. Question, is it a powerful principle? Most certainly yes. All I'm saying to you, don't trust the principle. Trust the principality behind the principle. The principality behind this principle is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But you cannot trust Him without obeying the principle. All I'm saying to you, be very careful that you don't attribute your success to the principle and not to the principality that installed the principle. It is God's principle. It's valid, it's true, it's biblical. But don't applaud the principle. Yes, engage it and obey it. But give honor to the God who initiates the principle. Go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, quickly. I want to illustrate something. Jesus is something powerful here. I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you shall eat, drink, or what you, about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. Watch. They neither sow, nor do they reap. 
nor gather into barns. Yet, watch, your, your heavenly Father feeds them. Now, if this congregation was full of birds, all the birds came to church, right? Birds, birds everywhere, all sitting. We want to hear what Barnwell has to teach us this morning. And I announced, well, my series is sowing and reaping. They will say, guy, check the verse out. We don't do that. For us, that message is irrelevant. We don't sow nor reap. But what do we rely on? Heavenly Father too, to feed us. Right? So, now this cancels the principle of sowing and reaping right here. For birds. <laughs> Are you not much more important than? Then they, all I'm saying is, watch. There is a higher principle than the principle of sowing and reaping. It's a principality called the person of the Father. Let me just say this to you. Your Father will take care of you. Come hell or high water. But you decide how high you want to go in Him. God will never abandon you. Do you know that? He'll never abandon you. Do you know that he never left Egypt while they were in the wilderness? Every day he gave them manna, just enough for each day. But was the wilderness the ultimate? There was a promised land. I'm saying you can choose to live where you want to in God. He's a gracious father and will take care of you. I want the highest order in him. But if I engage a principle biblically, I don't. You see, you mustn't have faith in the principle. You must have faith in God who gave the principle. Engage the principle you must, but believe the God who installed the principle. And it will work for you. It will work for you. Are you not much more value than they? Let's just read this for the record. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his, to his stature? Why do you worry about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. They do not how, how they grow, neither do they toil or spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying what we shall eat, what we shall drink, what we shall wear, for after these things Gentiles seek, for your Father knows that you have need of these things, eat, drink, what we shall wear, these things, your Father knows you need stuff to survive, to adequately take care of you. But, everyone say but, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, which is by faith, and these things shall be added to you. Whenever you put the kingdom first, and part of putting the kingdom first is to observe kingdom principles, biblical principles. All I'm saying to you, the principle works, but it's the God of the principle that works. You know why? Let me just give a subtle warning here. Let's say for some reason, your relationship with God is alienated through your willful disobedience of a principle for which you have not repented. And in that scenario, you engage the principle. So what I'm suggesting to you is, if whatever reason your relationship with God is alienated because you willfully disobeyed His word and you have no desire to repent from it, and you engage the principle, and watch, 
And if there's reward from engaging the principle, the attendant reward on your sowing could deceive you and fool you into thinking God is happy with you and things are fine simply because he's taking good care of you. That's very dangerous. Deuteronomy chapter 8 teaches strongly about this principle. I won't have time to read the whole chapter. Right? I won't have time to read the whole chapter. God said, beware lest you come into the land. And you build houses, uh, you occupy houses you never built, uh, fields that you never sown for, and you forget the Lord your, your God. It's he that giveth the power to, to get wealth. And God is forgotten when His principles are no longer adhered to. I taught you this. Be very aware of the deceptive nature of blessings to fool you into thinking God is happy with you when in a particular area you knowingly, voluntarily walk in disobedience for which you don't have any uh, motive or, or inclination to repent of. Be very, very wary of that. Okay? Be very, very wary and be aware of that. Now, so much here, but because of time, I'm going to cut through a few things. I'll always um, come back to some things later on. Last week, I taught you that the seed principle is essential for the rest principle. God established seed in every plant, in every fruit, so that without His direct involvement, creation would sustain itself. In six days, He created everything. In the seventh day, he enters into? Because the Bible says God entered into rest, he has not worked from that day since. Why? Because he is in rest. But we say, you and I say, hey, God broke through. You and I say, hey, the work of God, he worked powerfully. I'm saying to you, he has not worked a day more since he went into rest. So then how does he still work today? He works today because in creation, he has programmed creation with principles, which when enacted, breed certain results. If I drop this nachi, who wants to bet it will go up to the ceiling? Anybody? Braden, how much money you got? Ceiling or floor? If I drop this, where's it going? Why are you so certain it's going to go down? Why? What law? Who put the law here? God. Do you think God's at the edge of his throne saying, Randall's about to drop a nachi? I must please, I must be active to work to ensure it goes down and not up. He's not like worried about this. This is cause and effect. That law is put into the earth by God. If you sow, you will reap. God works by the principle. Now put Hebrews 1.3 quickly. Hebrews 1.3. Listen to me. Some people use that to say this. Hey, are you saying God is detached from His creation, uninvolved in His creation? I'm not saying that. I'm saying He is in rest, working by the principles He has established. Yeah? This verse says, Jesus, talking about Jesus, the brightness of His glory, the express image of His person, upholding all things, how? By the word of His power. He is upholding all things by the word of His power, that same word he said in Genesis, let there be and there, there was. Not so, let there be and there was. Listen to how he upholds all things by the word of his power. He upholds all things by the word of his power. When his sons in the earth obey and observe the principles of the word 
He has installed into creation. When that is observed, creation is upheld. When it's not upheld, creation grows into a cosmic groan. And what is creation groaning for? The manifestation of the sons of God. When the manifestations of the sons of God appear, creation heals itself. Automatic. Because that is what is creation looking for. When creation sees image and likeness restored in the corporate man, not individual men, in the corporate body of Christ, creation will come to a place called healing. Okay? Creation will come to a place called healing. So, I'm saying to you, God upholds all things by the power of His Word when the principle of his, principles of His Word are obeyed. It's very simple. Right? God will ensure your provision. When you obey the principles relative to his provision. Again, I want to say this to you. A good loving father will always take care of you. But you can decide on what level you want to live. Before I close. Remember last week we looked at Genesis 37. Twins were born to Tamar. One came out first. The midwife put a scarlet thread around his hand. His hand was out. But it's not his body. And he retracted back into the womb. And he went back into his mom's womb. The other twin came out first. The midwife administrating the birth said, Who? How have you broken through? And she called his name Perez, which means breakthrough. Question, how have you broken through? And then the other guy with the scarlet thread, who came out first? He comes out afterwards and his name was, come on, you know, his name was Zerah. What does Zerah mean? Seed. So seed came out first before breakthrough came out. Seed is preface to your breakthrough seed is necessary for your your breakthrough now in genesis i'll just read one verse because of time genesis chapter 1 and verse 11 and 12 says this the lord god said let the earth sprout vegetation plants yielding seed fruit trees and earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them and it was so and the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And the Lord God saw that it was good. Not just plants, all living species have the capacity to reproduce by one mean or another, even humans. The male semen is deposited into the female womb. Fusion with her egg takes place, conception takes place, and boom, a baby nine months later comes out. Scripture, I won't have time to show you this, in the Bible, the Scripture likens male semen as unto a seed, deposits seed. So even in the man, the seed principle is always, is always present for procreation, reproduction, and for the perpetuity of the human race. That is all good and proper. Now, plants yielding seed of its kind and trees bearing fruit with seed in them. Where is the seed? In the fruit. Tell your neighbor, the seed is in the, the fruit. So, what? I've taken the fruit and I've eaten it, but, okay, this is a bit messy. Please forgive me. But this is how you ought to eat back home, right? Watch, there's a seed there, right? Can you see the seed? Should I eat the seed? I should eat the fruit, but plant the... There's, there's seeds in an apple. 
when you're eating your fruit, don't simultaneously eat your seed, or else you abort the possibility of new fruit. Right? You abort the possibility of new fruit. Whenever, I would say this to you, whenever money hits your hand, distinguish between your fruit and your seed. Whenever money hits your hand, say, God, what is my seed portion and what is my fruit portion? What can I eat? What can I sow? I sow for perpetuity. I sow for sustainability. You, the creator of the universe, you gave me a case study. You gave me a model. You gave me something, a sample. You put in creation a principle for me to see that it works. In fact, I am a seed in my humanity. If Christ is the seed of Abraham, right? And John 12 verse 24 says, unless a seed falls to the... So must the seed fall? Yes, fall to the ground. It mustn't fall into my stomach. It must fall to the ground. You see, it says if it doesn't fall, it abides alone. If it falls and dies, it grows and bears forth fruit in, in much in much abundance. I want to encourage you, um, do not, again, be discouraged. I'm just picking up this. By the seeds you have sown up to this point that have not germinated yet and shot upwards, perhaps because they're still taking downward root. Here's, here's another apple seed. How many apples in a seed? You could look at this one seed and see a whole orchard, a forest of apples virtually. You have no idea of the possibilities God has genetically encoded this. When you can count the number of seeds in an apple, but you cannot count the number of apples in a seed. I, I'm telling you next time, see seed when you see money. Don't only see fruit. A lot of people, your money is yet fruit. Hallelujah. But you eat some and you sow some. Give some away. Okay? So long, I said like this, the longer seed is seen, harvest is postponed. The seed needs to be buried. An unseen seed is a sown seed that guarantees a harvest. But so long as the seed is seen and not sown, the harvest is postponed or potentially aborted. Okay? So, there's another application of this in the book of Corinthians, but because of time, I will not go there. It's already 5 past 11. But if you're making notes, just reference 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul says, God gives, let me just read it for, for the record, uh, verse 10 to 13, and then we'll pray. Because I think Paul in the New Testament said something very similarly to what I've just demonstrated to you. He said this, he who supplies what to the sower? Watch, what does God supply to the sower? Where does your seed come from? God. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply what? Your seed, when you think harvest, you're thinking God's going to bless me with more bread, with more fruit. I'm going to chow, 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 chow. I'm going to be blessed. No, Paul is saying part of what you look forward to as part of your future harvest is more seed. It's not just more harvest. Repeat after me. Let's quote this verse in chorus. Come on, say it loud and with conviction. One, two, three. Now he who supplies seed 
to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, watch. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality. This word liberality here means generosity. Let's carry on. Which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Next verse. For this ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many with thanksgiving to God. Similarly to, like I said, when money hits your hand, you decide what is my fruit portion, what is my bread portion. Paul would say this in his language. When money hits your hand, distinguish your bread portion and your seed portion. What portion should you eat and what portion should you sow? Go beyond tithes. You have not really given once you've given tithes because tithes are returned. Not yours, the tithe belongs to the Lord, it says. The tithes are holy, it belongs to the Lord. To withhold the tithe is to keep back God's money, then you're a thief. Because money is not yours. I believe the true seed sowing takes place in offerings. Because there's where you access the true blessing. I'm challenging myself. My wife is here present. Let's not just tithe. Tithe withholds the devourer. That's all it does. It rebukes the devourer. I believe offerings opens the gateway for the blessing. Yeah? I want to encourage you. Up your seed. When you up your seed, don't eat the seed. Up the seed. God will give you a harvest, not just of more fruit or bread, but He multiplies your... See, I love that verse. Tell someone, multiplied seed. What level of seed have you sown? Because later on, Paul would say, He was so sparingly. How do you reap? Reap sparingly. But He was so bountifully. Well, you control the quality of your harvest. It's in your hands. You control that. I want to encourage you. You, there's a lovely verse in Ecclesiastes, which we'll study later. He who's on Proverbs and Psalms, he who sows seeds weeping. Sometimes you sow seeds weeping without painting. It says he will doubtfully come again rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves with him. Amen. Right? It might be hard, it might be sacrificial in a moment. But I'm telling you, the joy that overtakes you when your harvest comes in. And let me just say this, it's not just finance. I will talk more about the harvest of righteousness here at a later segment. I'm telling you, there's much more. In fact, my eye is not even on finances when I saw money. Huh? I'm not even wanting, I mean, I want it, but I'm not wanting it. Like, I'm sowing it for other reasons. God will bless you in the process. Amen? Everyone say multiplied seed. You can stay seated and just pray, lift your hands. May the Lord bless you with the capacity to sow seed. Come on, lift your hands. Receive this blessing. May you be blessed beyond measure. May you, the embodiment of the seed, Christ in you, the seed, when you enact this principle, I pray for and bless you, church. May you tap into the principality behind the principle. May God, your Father, Christ, your Lord, and your Savior, propel your obedient enactment of this principle. 
Never eat your seed. Sow your seed. Eat your fruit. Eat your bread. But sow your seed. May the Lord bless you with courage to obey Him. You are not disadvantaged when you sow. There's a season called harvest that you will reap from. And I pray great grace and peace will be upon us all. In the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.